Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and I am thankful that when the the blood was shed and he died thankful he didn't stay dead amen I'm glad we can sit and we can sit here in church this morning and we can say uh, I've come to tell you he's alive amen and uh, if it wasn't for that there'd be no reason for any of us to be here this evening amen and uh, because he's alive this uh, this evening uh, we have every right to worship and to praise the Lord and so I want us to do that today amen and uh, it's good as I said it's good to be in church thank God for the privilege to be here tonight. Let's take our Bibles tonight and go back, please, to John chapter number 17. And uh, I've tossed, I've got several different things in the works, and I've tossed back and forth as to what to do today, but uh, I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed our study this morning. I hope you did. And uh, I, I, ne- I never know if if uh, the congregation will ever enjoy it as much as I do. And uh, not necessarily the preaching of it, but the study of it and the truth of it. And uh, when God gives it to me, and uh, you know, I would say this: I think that if a preacher can't get excited about what he's preaching, uh, there's no hope for the congregation to get excited about what he's preaching. Amen. And uh, I've, I, I, Dr. Maccabee used to say it in Bible college, and I've said it uh, often here: uh, you may not always, uh, you may not always uh, agree with or believe what I'm teaching or what I'm saying, but by the time the service is over, uh, I hope I've convinced you at least that I believe what I'm teaching. And preaching, Amen. And that, and, and I hope uh, that you know it's something that stirs me at least, Amen. And uh, so let's look here in John chapter number seventeen. Uh, we've been looking in this passage of Scripture over a couple of services now uh, on the subject of the true Lord's Prayer, the true Lord's Prayer, and uh, we we talked about that subject uh, as compared uh, as comparable uh, to Matthew chapter number six and what what has been called the Lord's Prayer and uh, that I have submitted to you and given reasons why I believe it would be more scripturally honest to say that is a model prayer for us and uh, this is a prayer uh, of the Lord here and it's interesting what we've seen here uh, in these verses Uh, as we mentioned this morning uh, I'll echo again by way of introduction and by way of context y'all pray for me my voice is about done so y'all help me uh, tonight and y'all pray for me tonight, Amen. Uh, doing Sunday school and then this morning and then being uh, gone, you know, it's just busy all day. Y'all pray that God will help me tonight. And every other word, I feel like it's cutting out. So y'all pray for me tonight, all right? Uh, but by way of context here, in John chapter number sixteen, I mentioned it this morning uh, that between uh, chapter number fourteen, especially, uh, but even you could even make an argument back to chapter number twelve. Uh, 
up to uh, where we are in chapter number 17. Uh, the Lord Jesus has done a lot of speaking. He's done a lot of talking. Uh, he's spent a lot of time teaching his disciples. And in particular, between verse uh, 14 and verse number 16, uh, Jesus has been in a constant uh, communication with his disciples. And what he is doing between those chapters is he is letting them know uh, that he is going to die, that he is going to go away, that he is going to go to his father, and uh, that they are going to be without him. He is preparing them for that uh, reality. And as he goes from teaching them at the end of chapter number 16, and in chapter number 18, as he makes his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, we find that somewhere between his teaching of his disciples in parables and in, in statements of truth, and in, uh, and on the way between there and Gethsemane, the Lord steals away uh, for, a t for a short time and prays this prayer uh, that I mentioned in our conclusion this morning is the high, what it's called the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus. And the reason why we call it the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus is because just like the high priest of the nation of Israel, uh, he had a twofold duty when it came to him being the high priest. Number one, he would deal uh, he would deal with God concerning himself, and then he would deal with God concerning others. What we looked at this morning uh, was the Lord Jesus dealing with himself, and going to God himself, and coming to God on behalf of himself. And we see that from verse number one uh, through uh, verse, uh, verse number six. And uh, then uh, in uh, very really uh, verse number uh, seven as well. But then in verse number eight, he begins to speak with them, uh, with the Lord concerning others. He has dealt with himself as the high priest would do. And now he is going, we'll pick up here tonight. He is going to deal and pray on behalf and intercede on behalf of others. So Jesus here enters into the role uh, of the high priest of the nation of Israel. And uh, he enters into that picture, uh, even though at this time uh, the, the nation of Israel has another high priest, at least uh, at least for uh, just a little while. The high priest will soon get angry. He'll rent off his high priestly clothes, and he will, according to Levitical law, disqualify him uh, from himself from being high priest. And the Lord Jesus will be the only one that will be qualified in Israel to stand in that place in just a moment. But right now, he is uh, on behalf of us spiritually, he is doing the work of the high priest. And by the way, that's what he does now. When the Bible said he ever lives to make intercession for us in heaven today, he is serving as our high priest, being in between between us and God and getting our petitions before the Lord. So anyway, we come here uh, to this passage of Scripture. Let's read a few verses together, and uh, then we'll pick up uh, in our text for uh, this morning, or this evening, rather. Uh, the Bible says in verse number one, these words spake Jesus. And lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as uh, thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ 
whom thou hast sent. And I have glorified thee on the earth. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. Again, interceding on behalf of someone else. Jesus says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for thine they are. Or excuse me, and, and they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And then the Bible goes on to say, Jesus said, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may that, uh, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the, uh, of the, uh, of the world. Uh, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I, notice this now, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and they also may uh, be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory uh, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I 
in them. That is the reading tonight of the true Lord's Prayer. We'll pick up in the text after a brief word of prayer. Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, I come before you, Lord, one more time as humbly and thankfully, dear God, as I know how. Father, I pray, dear God, for the next few moments, God, that you'd touch my voice, touch my mind, touch my body, help me to be used as a vessel, Lord, that you can speak to your people through. Father, I pray, dear God, that you would uh, take this text, and Lord, I pray you'd lift it up off the page and plant it, uh, Lord, in our hearts in a very in a spiritual way, in a very real way, that the Word of God would become alive to each and every one of us tonight. May it be more than black words or red words on white paper, but Father, I pray, dear God, that it would be your Word to us for this evening, God, that you'd speak to us as only you can. Father, I pray, dear God, as I often do in preaching, you'd forgive me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your spirit, use me, God, for your glory, help me to say what you'd have to be said and nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. I pray, dear God, that you would help the people as they listen, give them ears to hear what the Spirit of God would say to the church, and as they hear my words, Lord, I pray, uh, God, that in my words they would hear the Holy Ghost of God speaking to them, Lord, uh, as only you can in their hearts, Lord, that you would take the message, use the message as only you can. May sinners be saved. May lives be changed. May the people of God get strength and help and food, uh, Lord, uh, spiritually that they need. And may you get all the glory. May we exalt you and extol you in a way, God, that you so rightfully deserve. And Father, we'll thank you, Lord, for what you do in the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. We've been looking, as I said, at this chapter, and we have been looking at it uh, from the perspective of calling it the true Lord's Prayer. And there are some things that we notice about this prayer uh, that are worthy of note. Uh, in our first messages, we uh, began by looking at the deliverer of this prayer. Uh, the deliverer of this prayer is none other than the Lord Jesus. Verse 1, these words saith Jesus. And here we understand that the Lord is the one that is saying these words. Then we saw not only the deliverer of this prayer, but we saw the direction of this prayer. The Bible says in verse number one, it was directed to the Father. Jesus directs it to his Father, and in doing so, we saw that that depicts kinship and that depicts kingship. Uh, it deals with uh, the Lord, uh, the Lord being the Son of God the Father, and it also deals with the fact that the Father has given given him authority as as uh, as as the son the father has authority rather uh, over the son so we see uh, not the direct uh, we see the uh, the the deliverer of this prayer then we see the direction of this prayer but then this morning we began to look at the details of this prayer and that is the majority of this text the details of this prayer. Uh, this morning we talked about and uh, really we didn't get off of this point and we'll pick up here this evening but as we look at the details what uh, what the, the wording of this prayer the first thing that we saw is that the Lord Jesus prays from the heart. He as you look at these words you and especially as we go further through the text you cannot help but see the heart of the Lord Jesus uh, the, 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 the love and the burden upon 
on the heart of the Lord Jesus for the things that he was praying for. And as a high priestly prayer, uh, this would be something that would be of great burden. Uh, the high priest, he was uh, burdened for himself. If he did not do what he was supposed to do, then it would affect others. And yes, uh, he would intercede on behalf of others. It was his job uh, to be an interceder between the nation of Israel and the Lord. And so we see his heart. We see his heart in what he reveals here in this verse. In verse 1, we see uh, what Christ reveals. He says, the hour is come. Speaking about the hour of his death. The hour of him uh, going to Calvary. That is what is taking place here. He is on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he will pray, but upon the conclusion of his prayer, he will be betrayed, he will be arrested, and he will be marching toward the cross. So we see what Christ reveals. But then we see what Christ requests, and we dealt with that this morning. The first thing that he requested in verse number two, he says, as thou, uh, he says, in, or excuse me, in verse number one, he said, glorify thy son. That phrase, glorify the son. I'm not uh, trying to re-preach this. I want to try to summarize this. But in essence, what he is saying is, is God, would you honor the son? Would you, uh, would you, uh, in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of those that see upon Calvary, would you show uh, the world that I am more than just a man, but that I am the Son of God. As I go to the cross, will you accomplish your purpose in sending me there that all the world will know that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of God. The reason why he says that he wants the Son to be glorified is the next statement where he says that thy Son may also glorify thee, and describes how he's going to do that. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, and this is life eternal. This is how you receive eternal life, uh, that he said that they, uh, that when you receive eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So, and again, I don't have time to re-preach this morning. Uh, go back and listen to it. I encourage you to do so, and I hope it'll help you, uh, if, especially if you weren't here. Uh, but I will say this, in verse number 3, and in verse number 2, what he's saying is, is that in the, the way that the Son glorifies the Father is by enacting that power uh, that God has given unto the Son to see lost souls saved, and through their salvation, the Father gets glory. That is that statement in a nutshell. <clears throat> we see what Christ reveals. We see what Christ requests here in these verses. But then, I want us to see tonight what, I want us to see tonight what Christ relays. Look again there at verse number four. Uh, he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I've done everything I can to bring you glory on the earth. I've done every, I've finished the work that you've given me to do. He said, now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He said, I have finished my earthly task. I am ready to resume 
resume the relationship that we had um, that, we, that we had before I came into the world. I'm ready to resume the physical relationship uh, that we had. I'm ready to be with you again. I'm ready to be glorified in heaven again. He said, I've finished that which you've given me to do. Now, verse number six, we see what Christ relays. Look here at verse six. He says, I have manifested thy name unto the men that thou gavest me out of the world. In other words, the men that you put into my trust, the men that you have committed to me, the ones that you are entrusting to me, he says, I have manifested, I have displayed. Uh, he is saying that I have brought to bear, brought to light. I have uh, put in a clear light. I have put on display. I have shown. I have uh, rendered apparent, he says thy name unto the men that you have committed to me out of the world, those that were in this world that you gave to me. Well, who is he speaking of? He's speaking of his disciples. Those were the men that God put in his trust to teach and to prepare for the day in which he would go to his father, for the day that he was to leave the world. And so he says here, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. In other words, I have told them everything that you gave me to talk to them. I have, when he told them, and I, and I dealt with this, uh, when, when we were uh, in the Old Testament, we were dealing with uh, one of the Psalms that when the Bible speaks about the name of God, it's speaking about God's reputation. It's speaking about God's character. It's speaking about anything that can be attached to him as an individual. When I he said, in other words, Jesus is saying that I have taught them everything that I can physically teach them about who you are and how you conduct your business upon the earth. All that they can handle, I have taught them. I have faithfully, uh, I have faithfully uh, dealt with that trust that you gave uh, to me in training these men. He tells the Father, he relays uh, to the Father, uh, not uh, for His information. I would say this, He says it for our information, knowing it be put in the Word of God. He said, I manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest me out of the world. He says this, Thine they were. In other words, they were in your control. They were in your hand. He says, and Thou gavest them me. You put them into my trust. And he notice this, He says, and they have kept thy word. Verse 7, he says, Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. Every statement of wisdom, every, every truth that he taught them, every deed that he uh, entered into in his ministry, every task, every truth that you've given me, it says that as I have taught them, as I have walked with them, as I have faithfully entered into that commitment that you gave me and tried to do, uh, tried to do uh, perfectly what you would have by putting them in my care. He said, I have done what you wanted me to do. I have taught them, and they've come to the place where they understand that everything that I've done and everything that I said is coming from you. 
Now I'll remind you, this is the Lord Jesus personally speaking to his father. He is telling his father as he prays on behalf of the Lord's disciples, on behalf of his servants. He says, I, he tells his father, I have, I, I know you committed them to me. I have done everything that I can. I've taught them everything that I can teach them that they can handle. And what they have come to the realization is, is what the truth that I've taught them and the tasks that I have done, it is all because I've been following you. He says in verse number 8, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. Jesus is telling them, I've, I've preached to them, I've taught them everything that you told me to tell them. And he tells the father this, and what a, what a convicting statement this is, talking about followers of the Lord. This is not like that verse earlier this morning that we talked about in verse number four, and that's convicting where, he, where Jesus said, I have finished the work that which thou, hast, which thou gavest me to do. And, how, and I want to be someone that finishes the work that God's called me to do. However, I'll say this, we look at that, it's talking about Jesus, and all of us would say, of course the Lord's going to finish what the Lord gave him to do. This verse that we just read, it's not talking about the Lord. It's talking about flesh just like us, men just like you and I, members of humanity just like us that have a sin nature and can fail and have fallen many times. The Bible said that Jesus said that I've given unto them the words that thou gavest me and they have received them. I wonder how many times it can be said of us that we have received the words that God sent our way. Jesus said they've received them. If Jesus said they received them, you can take it to the bank. These disciples received the word of truth. Jesus said they have received them. And notice this. Notice what happens as a result of receiving truth. The Bible says that Jesus said this about his disciples, says that they have known surely that I am come out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. He's telling the Lord, the, the Lord Jesus is telling God the Father, you put them in my care. I told them everything, and I told them everything that you told me to tell them. And they have believed that all of the tasks that they have entered into me with has been the will of God. But now uh, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you them what you told me, and they received them. So much so to the end that they believe Surely, that they know without hesitation that I've come from thee. In other words, there's no doubt in these disciples who the Messiah is. There's no doubt in these disciples who the Christ is. If there ever was a day of doubt at this moment when the Lord is praying this high priestly prayer, there is no doubt in these disciples' mind anymore. He says here, he says there in verse number, uh, verse, uh, number 8, he says, They have known surely that I am come from thee, that I have come out from thee, that you have issued me, that I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. They know that without hesitation. And by the way, can I say this? That would be very important for them in the task that they're about to enter into. 
Jesus has told them, remember, the context is the Lord preparing them for him not being around anymore. All that the Lord taught them in his earthly ministry, all of what he has told them and taught them, all the places he has taken them for ministry, it was all to prepare them for the day to where he would leave and he would die and he would raise again, but he would ascend and the task would be left to them. Jesus is telling his father that I've done my part to prepare them for that moment. And they believe that I am who I say who I am. That I, they believe this God. And he says they believe that you've sent me. So in verse number 9, Jesus says, I pray for them. I don't know if that hits you emotionally the way that it does me. But to see here in John 17, this personal and intimate prayer time between God the Son and God the Father. And for the Son to say, God, they've received everything that I've given them to receive. They believe everything that I've taught them to believe about me and to believe about you. And there's coming a moment here very soon as after this prayer and after the events that has taken place, because as he began this chapter, the hours come. Because that hour has come, they're going to be without me soon. And I prayed for them. Up to this point, they have done what is right, but I have been with them. But because I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to my father, because the hour has come, he said, I pray for them. In verse 9, we see in my, in my, what I believe about the Bible, I believe we can see a glimpse of the ministry of our Lord today. You and I are servants of the Lord. If you're saved by the grace of God, you're supposed to be serving the Lord. And I hope along the way, when the Lord speaks to you, you believe what He says, and you receive what He says, and you believe what the Word of God says about Him, and you believe what the Word of God says about you and about us as believers, and about the task that God has given us upon the world. And now we are living in that time. Well, the Lord is not on the earth anymore. He says, I pray for them. He's praying for his disciples in the context here. He said, I pray not, verse 9, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine. Those that you placed in mine hand, they're yours, and they're mine, but they're mine because they were yours, and you gave them to me. He says, and thine are mine and I am glorified in them. Think about that statement, I am glorified in them. Again, this is speaking about the earthly disciples of the Lord Jesus, the apostles of the Lord. I wonder how much the Lord could say today that He's glorified in us. How much glory does He get from your life? How much glory does He get out of our lives? He said, these belong to you, and I am getting glory because of their service. He says there in verse 10, or verse, verse 11, and now I'm no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep th through thine own name those which thou hast given me, that they may be one as we 
are one. We see the Lord here praying from the heart. But can I say this, beginning in verse number 9, where he says, I pray for them the words that follow. He not only prays from the heart, but he prays for his helpers. In verse number 9, he is saying, I'm praying for them. He said, they belong to you. I'm getting glory out of them. But he says in verse 11, and now I am no more in the world. Now, let me, let, let me ask you this question. Jesus said, I am, no, not, I am now, at this moment, no more in the world. Is that true? Every one of you that are Bible students have to say, well, preacher, it's in the Bible. It has to be true. But it's not true in the logical, physical sense. He's praying on the earth. He has not ascended yet. He is still, although he's at the end of his earthly ministry, he is still very much involved in an earthly ministry. He's about to have men, uh, men in this world come lay their hands upon him physically, take him uh, to, uh, take him to uh, a place where they're going to try him, and they're going to physically put him on a cross and kill him. So is it true that he's no more in the world? I would submit to you this. Again, this is a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. In that verse, we see Jesus speaking to his Father. In a, see, Jesus is not bound like we are when it comes to dealing with subjects of time the way that we do. I believe Jesus in that verse is, is, is talking to his Father the way that he would in heaven the way that he would as God. He is not bound by time. And as far as Jesus is concerned, he can honestly tell his father, I am no more in this world. I believe here what he's telling him is, is that it is essentially as good as if he is not in this world. He is headed to that world. He is headed to be with the Father. And we, what we understand here about what is taking place uh, here in these verses, he says, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I'm not bound to stay here. So it's as good as if I'm already done with this world. It's as good as if I'm already there. I'm headed in that direction. But these, he says, are in the world. These are going to stay in the world. And he says, uh, he says there, uh, he says, and I come to thee because they are not bound to depart as I am, but they are bound to stay. He says, I'm coming to thee on their behalf. He says, Holy Father, keep through thine own name, through, remember what the name was. It was the character of God. It was the reputation of God. He says, you keep them in your ability, in your power. He says, you keep, you guard, you protect them. They, I'm going to leave. And, and as far as he was concerned, as far as his praying in this moment, he is telling, he's telling the Father to treat them as if he's not in the world anymore. Hence why he would say what he said and how he said it. 
I'm praying that you would deal with them as if I'm not here for them. And here's the reason why. They're about to, they're, they're about to arrest me. They're about to take me off. I'm not, here, I'm not here to help them. I can't protect them because Jesus is still in a body of flesh. He cannot do all of the things physically that he has done for them. It is as if he is as good as gone from them. He says, Father, I'm committing them to your trust again. You've given them to me. Now I'm giving them back to you. Please keep them. Keep them according to your reputation. Keep them according to your ability to keep, to guard, to protect. He said, those whom thou hast given me. And then he says, this is what he wants them kept in, that they may be one as we are. Do you know the chief desire of the Lord in this personal time as he is about to go off the scene physically and as he is begging his father to protect his disciples, those who have traveled with him day in and day out for three years at this point. You know what his chief goal and desire for his disciples is? It's not necessarily that they preach to large crowds. It's not necessarily even that they see hordes and hordes of converts in their ministry. It's not that they make a name for themselves in religion. It's not even that they be physically protected from harm. He says, I want you to protect their unity. The chief desire that God, I would submit to you, has for any of the disciples of Christ, any of the followers of Jesus today, is that there would be a protection of our unity. You know how God gets the greatest glory out of a servant of His? It is when we are unified together. You know when God, God's blessing is upon a church more than any other time is when there is unity among the body of Christ. If God's people get together and they're unified and of one mind and one accord, there is no telling what God can do in them and through them. Jesus said, let them be one as we are one. Let their unity, one with another, be like the unity that you and I have together. You talking about unified. You talking about being on the same page. Friend, that's unity. That's being on the same page. You put all, yes, they're human. Yes, they have flesh. Yes, they have failures. But you put them together in unity. And you protect that unity. And you keep it that way. Just like you and I are unified. What a wonderful statement this is in the Word of God. Verse 12 he says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. I kept them walking in your statutes. I, I kept them uh, representing you well. He says, those that thou gavest me, I have kept. I have protected. I have guarded. I have watched out for. And he says, under his leadership, none of them have been lost. But then he says, but the son of perdition, the son of perdition, speaking of Judas Iscariot, he says here, this son of destruction, this one that is bound for destruction. He is speaking of Judas's destiny here, that he was a child of damnation. In other words, he said, none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. 
And notice this, this shows me the sovereignty of God. Why was one of them lost? So that the scriptures might be fulfilled. The Lord allowed this one to go astray. One, because Judas desired it, but he allowed it to happen. And he did not prevent Judas from all the things he was going to do. Jesus could have physically stopped Judas from going and betraying him for 30 pieces of silver. He could have physically stopped Judas from placing a kiss upon his cheek. Uh, that would uh, betray him and give the sign uh, to, those, uh, to those that were coming to arrest him. He could have done all of that. Before any of that took place, Jesus could have stopped his heart and let him drop dead before he ever made it to him. But why did Jesus allow him to be the son of perdition? Why did Jesus allow him to do the things that he did so that the scriptures might be fulfilled? The scripture said that Jesus would be sold for silver. The scripture says that he would be betrayed by a close friend. The scriptures had already declared that this moment was going to come to pass. Again, I remind you of this morning that the hour that has come has been an hour that has been, uh, has been prophesied about throughout all of the 4,000 years of human history up to this point. Throughout all the Old Testament, it was said that there's an hour coming. But in this passage, the hour has come. The son of perdition is soon to come and betray him. Before he ever kissed the door to heaven and went to hell, before that ever happened, the Bible says here, Jesus said he was already lost. Verse 13, because of that, he said, I haven't lost anyone you've given me but the son of perdition. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Do you know what God wants for your life, child of God, servant of Christ? Number one, he wants unity. Number two, he wants joy. He doesn't want you just to have any kind of joy. He wants you to have his joy. Can I, can I report to you tonight that there is no joy apart from the Lord Jesus? You may have happiness. You may have enjoyable times and enjoyable moments. You may have pleasure, but you will not have joy, true joy, apart from the Lord Jesus. He says, I want them to have my joy fulfilled, not just in their lives, but he said in themselves. He wants joy to run deep in them. He says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. He's not saying for you to remove them from the world, as he is soon to be removed from the world. But he said, I'm just asking that you'd keep them from the evil, that you'd protect them, to protect them from being robbed of unity, protect them from the evil of that, protect them from the evil of uh, having a service for you, a service for God without joy running deep within. He says, keep them from the evil. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I wonder how many of us the Lord could say that about tonight, that we're not of the, we may be in the world, but we're not of the world. He says in verse 17, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Set them apart. 
he said, set them apart, sanctify them, uh, uh, do a work in them, if you will, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Verse 18, he says, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. What you did for me, um, I've done for them. And I'm asking you to help them because I'm going to go. I'm going to leave. And the work that you send me to do, I have commissioned them to continue. And I need you to keep them unified and to keep joy in them within so that they can go on for the cause of God and for the kingdom of God. He says here in verse 19, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus is saying that he, in this moment, wants God to, to do a work in him. To remember, remember we, he talked about the prayer, about God honoring the Son. All of that is entailed in this sanctification of the Son. He's, I, I'm wanting you to, to touch me in such a way and to do a work through me in such a way. He says, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Verse 20, he says, neither Pray I for these alone. In verse number 19, 9 through 19, we see that not only in this prayer uh, from the Lord do we see these details of the prayer, do we see that he prays from the heart and he prays for his helpers. But I submit this to you beginning in verse 20. He prays for the hereafter. He says in verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them which shall, that's hereafter, that's in the future. He says, which shall believe on me through their word. Here's what Jesus, he sanctifies himself. He's saying, God, I want you to touch me. I want you to help me. I, if I'm going to go to the cross, I want you to do a work in that. If I'm going to be, if I'm going to be crucified, I want you to get the glory through me. I want you to do a work through me to where souls can be saved. And I can see folks saved and you give the glory. I want you to touch that event in my life so much that it will bless those that it are being left to pick up the ministry and to continue it forward. And he says, here's why I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them because they are going to be the ones that are going to continue this gospel ministry. They're going to be the ones that continue the ministry of the Lord Jesus to the hereafter. Do you realize that the reason why every single person in this room tonight is sitting here in a Bible-believing Baptist church with a King James Bible on your lap, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I would say that just about everyone under the sound of my voice uh, has a testimony of salvation to where God, uh, through the Holy Ghost, came to where you were, dealt with your heart about your need to Christ, you heard the gospel, and placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repented of your sins, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you were born again by the power of God. Amen. Everyone in here, I believe, has a testimony of that happening. Do you know why that was possible? It's because the God the Father answered Jesus' prayer. God the Father, He allowed the disciples to keep the unity that they needed 
to finish their course. Amen. He allowed them to have joy in their journey enough to finish the course. He allowed them to serve and to do His work in His name and by His power in the generations to come. And they touched a generation. And those that they touched, touched another generation. And those that they touched, touched another generation. And those that they touched, touched another generation. Over the last 2,000 years, someone that was touched by the ministry of the disciples of the Lord, that the Lord was praying for, somebody that was touched by the disciples in their ministry. And those that were touched, and those that were touched, and so on and so forth was able to be used of God to reach us. Whenever it was that you got saved, it goes back to God the Father answering the prayers of the Son. And as He had literally, when it wasn't we sing it, you know, we sing it in our churches, when He was on the cross, I was on His mind. Friend, I submit to you, you were on the Lord's mind way before He went to cross. He hasn't even made it to Gethsemane yet, and He is already praying, literally, for me and for you. That the disciples would, would do what He tasked them to do in God's power, and that the gospel would make its way to the hereafter, to you and I, literally and individually. But all of those that would believe on His name through their ministry. Here in this prayer, we see the Lord's love and concern for all generations of sinners. Verse 20, I pray not for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Then here's what He prays for them, that they all may be one. That includes us. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. Here's what he's saying there when he's talking about art in me and I in thee. He's saying that we are so unified, we are in each other. The Son in the Father, the Father in the Son. He said we are, we are one entity. They are part of the Trinity. They are, they, yes, three persons, but one God. They are literally together as one. He says, I want them to be that kind of unified. He says that they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That the world, here's the reason why he wants them to be in unity, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Do you realize that God blessed the ministry of the disciples so that the gospel could get to us, and so that when the gospel got to us, that ye yes, in our very generation, that more souls would come to know Christ as their Savior. Just as the disciples were used to touch those that touched us, he, Jesus, before He ever made it to Gethsemane, before He ever made it to, to God, to Gabbatha, before He ever made it to Golgotha, before He was ever on the cross, He said that He wanted you and I, He prayed for us, that you and I would reach others as well with the truth. He says in verse 22, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. Remember what he said the glory was back in the early part of the chapter? He said the glory that God has given him, that the glorification that God has given him is having that power in his ability to see folks saved. 
He said, the glory that you've given me, I give to them. You say, preacher, how is that possible? I don't have the ability to save, but you do have the entity by which the world can be saved. You say, preacher, what's that? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Exactly what Brother Michael preached at the nursing home this afternoon. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that if you present the gospel, you have the ability to be the vehicle by which salvation comes to a lost soul? He says, the glory you've given me, I've given them. The ability to see salvation happen, I have given to them. He says, verse 22, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they might be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, now, not only that he has sent me, but that the world has loved them. You know what your purpose is in the ministry God's given you? Not only to be a representative of the fact that Jesus came into the world from God and that he was God's son, he was God's Messiah, he was God's representative to bring salvation to the world, but you and I, to the ministry that he's given us through offering the gospel to the world, are not only to let people know that the Son of God came from God for them, but to let the world know that God loves them. He says, verse 23, and hast loved them, even as thou hast loved me. Verse 24. Let me ask you this, just on that last phrase. This isn't in my notes, but just reading the text. Let me ask you this. When was the last time it dawned on you that God the Father loves you just as much as he loves Jesus? That's what Jesus just said. He said he wanted us to be able to let the world know that God loves, that God the Father loves those that we give the gospel to just as much as He loves the Son. When's the last time you let that settle in on you? When's the last time we included that in our gospel witness? We could say, so we could tell somebody, we could ask somebody this when we witness to them, do you believe that God, that God loved Jesus? Of course He did. We could show them this verse, He loves you just as much. He says in verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. Why, is, why, why, does, why does he want all of this? Because Jesus is about to go to heaven. Jesus is about to go to that place where he will be able to enjoy the glory that he had with God before the world was. What was that? That was heaven. The dwelling place of God. He says here, I want them to be where I am. Again, Jesus is speaking in a term of what will be, what is soon to be, what is as good as done in his eyes at this moment. He said, I want them to be where I am. Why, does God, why is Jesus praying for the disciples? Because he wants them to be able to touch us. And then he wants, he wants through those that they touch for, them, for us to be touched with the gospel, for us to be saved so that we can touch others with the gospel, that all of those who get saved will have an opportunity to be where he is. Jesus wants everybody to go to heaven. Not all men will be saved, but the will of God, according to, uh, according to, the, to Peter's writings, is that, that it is that he's not willing that any should perish. It, the Bible says that it's God's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus wants everybody to go to heaven. Not everybody will, but you won't go because Jesus didn't want you to go. That's the lie of the Calvinists. They say that there's people that Jesus didn't want to go to heaven, so he doesn't let them go to heaven. Jesus here, plainly and clearly, as I understand this verse, is saying that he wants everybody to go to heaven. He says, a righteous father, verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou give me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world. A righteous father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. 
and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. What happens when someone gets saved? The Bible says that the Holy Ghost of God comes within us. He is the indwelling Spirit of God. And the Bible says, I believe it was, I believe it was Paul that said that he would be Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus said the end result of it all is I want to be in them. I want them to be saved so I can come and take up residence in them. And if I come and take up residence in them, they can, they can touch others. And that a whole slew of people from that wicked, dirty world that you've sent me into to do this mission that you've called me to do can come to heaven to be where I am, to where they can see me as I was before the world began. And we can enjoy that place together. That's what Jesus is praying for. You say, what is the heart of God? The heart of God is men, women, boys, and girls come to know Him as their Savior. In this last moment before heading to the, the Gethsemane's garden that would eventually lead to Calvary, what was he praying for? That God would touch his disciples and that God would touch all of those that would be saved thereafter so that the whole world would have an opportunity to be saved and to be in heaven where he is. That is the prayer that Jesus prayed before going to the cross. I don't know what that does for you, but I would honestly say this is the true Lord's Prayer. Jesus in the model prayer is asking, <coughs> is asking for forgiveness of sin. Jesus can't pray that. But you know what Jesus can pray? God, I want all, all the lost souls of this world to receive salvation, and I want them to be where I am. That's, that, that's a prayer that Jesus truly does pray. I'm done tonight with that. We see the details of this prayer. Thank God for a prayer that Jesus prayed uh, where he shows you and I his true heart for sinners. Amen. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.